Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. She's often called the Grand Dame. Oops. I thought you were saying it like with an accent or something. <laughs> I, I did it first. Like the, the Grand Dame. That's why I was like, wait, what am I doing? I liked it. The Grand Dame. <laughs> And welcome back to She Built's podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season is a wild card season where we can talk about any lady we want. Yeah. And on today's episode, we will talk about Urmila Yuli Chaudhry, the first qualified female architect in India. I'm Lizzie Rar, drinking some mulled wine to get in the Christmas spirit in San Francisco. And I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nurjidi. I'm Nardiri Rivas, dreaming of hot chocolate in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers, about to make myself a hot toddy, even though it's still pretty hot in sunny Miami, Florida. It's time for our disclaimer. The three of us could be considered thought leaders, but we're not experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information that we find. We get our facts a little mixed up. Please forgive us. Send us an email. Let us know. And we can all continue learning. Okay, ladies, let's head to India. Let's go. Chalo. Urmila Yuli Chaudhry was born on October 4th, 1923 in Shah Jahanpur in the state of Uttar Pradesh in India. This is in the northern part of India, getting close to Nepal. And she went by Yuli. Yuli! Her dad was a diplomat, so the family traveled around the world as she grew up and she completed her studies in a bunch of different countries. Ooh, fascinating. I like that. But as a child, I wonder if she appreciated it. Maybe, mm. maybe not. Yeah. She graduated from Windsor House School in Kobe, Japan, and got a Cambridge School certificate. Ooh, okay, that makes sense. Does it? How does that work? How do they transfer credits all over the world? What is a Cambridge School certificate? <laughs> okay. So the Cambridge School certificate is basically like a high school or a certificate, um, but it's recognized across several countries. 
So there's like an exam involved at the end and it's somewhat prestigious because the curriculum is like really extensive. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. So after that, she went to Sydney, Australia, where she studied architecture at the University of Sydney and got a Bachelor's of Architecture in 1947. At some point while she was in Sydney, she also decided that she would pop over to the Julian Ashbourne School of Art Conservatory of Music and study singing and piano. Then she went to the U.S. and she got a diploma in ceramics in New Jersey. (laughs) Talk about a whirlwind. Yeah, this lady. I thought season (laughs) six, Lillian G. Murad with her master piano and chemical engineering was all over the place. But (laughs) Yuli is on another level architecture over here, singing there, sprinkling some ceramics. (laughs) Right? I couldn't find any more info on her family or her early life, unfortunately, but everyone seemed to confirm that she did a lot of school and that she was a polymath. Shandar, that's so legit. I used to think a polymath was someone really good at math, but (laughs) but I mean, I mean, yeah, that's what I would think that, too. Mm -hmm. Well, it's actually a person that knows a lot about a lot of things. Mm. Someone who's super knowledgeable on a whole bunch of subjects and they use all that knowledge to solve specific problems. So, I mean, maybe they're really good at math, probably, but they're also really good at a bunch of stuff. The other thing I couldn't find much about but was noted in all the articles was that after studying ceramics, she stayed in the U.S. and worked for a while. What she worked on, where, how long, I have no idea. (laughs) So let's just imagine she was doing something in the architecture slash ceramics slash music industry. (laughs) Casting a wide net. Sounds good. Well, in 1951, Yuli returned to India to work on a big project. Anyone have a guess what that is? Uh, wait, no, wait. I think I know. Should I say it? Go for it. Shandigar! Yeah! (gasps) Yeah! Ah, Exactly. (laughs) It's like the project we can never get away from. (laughs) (laughs) However, I'm excited to talk about it again if it means that another lady was involved and that we can take some of the spotlight away from Corbu. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Idea Achahi. I mean, I I love this idea. And it's fascinating to note that we've studied this project so much in school. And now there are two ladies on our show that are linked to this project. That we didn't know of until mm-hmm. now because of our show. I'm going to say this sounding real humble, but kudos to us shining a light. Yeah. Pat <laughs> on back. Patting myself on the back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Go us. Well, a bit of a reminder for listeners about the history of Shandigar, because I don't know if we talked about it last time. But in 1947, what was considered... British India was divided into what we know today as India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, which was at the time called East Pakistan. This was called the Partition of India. When they did this, they split the state of Punjab in two, West Punjab in Pakistan and East Punjab in India. The capital of undivided Punjab before the partition was Lahore, which after the partition was in Pakistan. So rather than making an existing city in East Punjab the capital of the new state, India's first prime minister, Nehru, decided to design a whole new city for the state. 
Yeah. Okay. So we didn't talk about this when we discussed Jane Drew in our first season. We only mentioned that Jane and her husband, Max, were asked to design the capital Shandigar. I remember at the time we thought it was cool to be asked to design a whole city. We should have known that there was more to this. Although, if you can recall from that episode, we mentioned how British colonization had just ended and how that could have impacted the political climate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always tough to know how deep we want to go into a subject. Sometimes we don't have time and other times we don't have a lot of knowledge and -hmm. they're complicated social, political, religious situations that are not easy to talk about in a 30 minute show about someone which is the case for Shandigar. It's Mm -hmm. a very complex Mm -hmm. subject. One of the reasons they divided the land the way they did was because of religion. And there's still conflicts occurring to this day. But let's get back to how Ormila or Yuli fits into the story. Yeah. Yeah. And sadly, Shandigar was another case of eminent domain. And 50 Puari-speaking villages were taken over to build the city. Mm. Oh, man, I didn't know that. That's so sad. It is. Yeah, it is sad. And I think it's also probably another reason that we don't talk about it in school or maybe we did. But I don't know. I just didn't realize how much of an impact it would cause. Yeah, for sure. Well, Shandigar is one of the first planned cities in India after they gained independence. And it definitely seems like they wanted to put themselves on the map by building a brand new modern city. and. I'd say they succeeded because it's still widely known for the architecture and urban design Mm -hmm. that was built there. Today, Shandigar serves as a joint capital for the Indian states of Punjab and Haryana. Okay, I gotta say that I really like all the history we're learning about Shandigar today. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as we know from episode seven about Jane Drew, she and Max were originally asked to work on Shandigar, but they were kind of busy. So they were like, we know this guy like Corbusier and he should join your team. And then Pierre Jeanneret was also there helping out his cousin. But in addition to the four of them, there were also several Indian architects and urban planners who were part of the team, including Yuli. Mm. Jane and Yuli were the only female architects on the team. Yeah. You go, girls. Okay, so before we go dive into all things Shandigar, Yuli hit it off with the consulting architect with the government of Punjab named Jugal Kishore Chaudhry, and they got married. Oh, so cute. (laughs) A nice little side note. Yeah. (laughs) So, guys, Yuli worked on Shandigar for a long time. It looks like she worked there in three phases from 1951 to 1963, then again in 1968 to 1970, and then finally from 1971 to 1976. The first two periods were the early design stages of the project. She helped with the drawings for the High Court, Geometric Hill, Tower of Shadows, and the Martyrs Memorial. Oh, okay. Also, other lessons that I don't remember learning about at school, but now it makes total sense that we're learning more of these details because if you recall from Jane's episode, Corbu would only make appearances at the site and yet was the one that would be credited for the project. I mean, it was a humongous project. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Of course. So it wouldn't make sense that only one person is involved. 
Mm-hmm. Only Julia Morgan can pull that off, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it's a whole city. Like one person didn't do the whole thing. It's time that we expand the story and include all the players while learning about this project. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So another thing to note is that Yuli was fluent in French and Corbu's English was kind of meh. So (laughs) 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 love that description. (laughs) Meh. You know that's what I read, Uh, but. So she was the coordinator and translator between the other Indian architects and Corbusier. She was also the person who corresponded to Prime Minister Nehru for Corbu after he went back to France. Again, not a light lift and carried by only one person, no less. She sounds like a project manager to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Well, in addition to helping Corbu with the main buildings, she also worked with Pierre to design ministers' houses and many of the educational institutions in Chandigar. Okay, that is such important work. I'd love to work on a school project. <laughs> that is so interesting. So we talked a little bit about Pierre in episode 42 when we talked about Charlotte Barion. I wonder if they knew each other. Maybe they ran into each other once or twice. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yuli also worked with Pierre Jeanneret on wooden chair design for the government buildings. Apparently, she reworked the proportions of the chair design for Indian men and also for the average Indian woman. She received a gold medal from the president for her design of the low-cost furniture. Yeah, those must have been some memorable chairs. (laughs) Yeah, award-winning chairs. Will we have pictures of that in the show notes, Lizzie? Yeah. I will have pictures. So you have to check out the show notes. Yeah. I also read in one article that apparently people are trying to smuggle the chairs out of India to auction them off as furniture designed by Corbu and Pierre. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God, Jessica, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like I was about to say that with you in unison. Yeah. First, major eye roll crediting Corbu and Pierre. But. It's actually kind of funny that they were trying to smuggle the chairs. <laughs> yeah. I think that's total bull that they were stealing and then writing Yuli out of the work. I wouldn't be surprised, but it's still bull. I mean, yeah. Right? It is. I know. Well, in the 60s, Corbu and Pierre had left and gone back to Europe. And this is when Yuli designed a few buildings in Chandigar on her own, such as the Government Polytechnic College for Women, the Home Science College, and multifamily government housing. All of these were in sector 10 of the city. I'll include pictures of them all. I think the design is interesting because you can definitely see the influence of Corbu and the international style that he's known for, but it's also mostly in brick, which gives it a very different look. It's not as austere as a lot of Corbu's stuff. Mm. I actually really like it. Mm. Yeah, she had to continue the context of what was there, but it's nice to see how she made it her own and used local materials. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very cool. And I can see the inspiration or I guess like the influence from Corbu. The Home Science College reminds me a little bit of the Carpenter Center in Boston with like the windows and stuff. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found a quote about Yuli style from Madhavi Desai, who wrote, Women Architects and Modernism in India. She said, Chaudhry generally followed Le Corbusier's concepts and scale in her building designs, exemplifying the principles of geometric composition and honesty of materials. 
She also developed her own distinct modernist design vocabulary. She believed in simplicity and boldness as well as economy and workability. I can totally see that. Looking at her projects, they seem very pure. Um, also, some of her housing projects, like her government housing, it looks like government housing here in the States. Like, well, like the projects. I feel like there's a connection there. Yeah, I can see that. I like the form and the rhythm of these buildings. I agree the geometric compositions make me want to whip out my sketchbook and do some compositional studies. <laughs> Maybe I will. I also appreciate her use of colors as a wayfinding device. Mm, you should do it. Do those studies. What's the wayfinding person we talked about? Sylvia Harris. Sylvia. Yeah. Making connections. Mm-hmm. From 1963 to 1965, between the two first chunks of time that she worked on Shandigar, Yuli was the director of the School of Planning and Architecture, SPA, in New Delhi. Listeners might remember us talking about this school during episode 56 about Rivati. <laughs> yes, how could I forget? I thought we were going to talk about the spa, SPA, and we were talking about <laughs> S.P.A. But I mean, hey now. <laughs> I mean, this SPA, that's an important school in India. Yeah. I'm always amazed that all these university professors also doing amazing things. Their time management must be amazing or total lack of work-life balance. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While she was the director at SPA, she translated Corbu's book, the Three Human Establishments, into English. Mm. She regularly wrote articles for journals, magazines, and newspapers, and she wrote her own book about the time that she worked with Corbusier, and it's called Those Were the Days. <laughs> Those Were the Days. Such a great title. Yeah. <laughs> we had a time. Sorry. Um, I wonder if the <laughs> writings that we read or that we thought were from Corbu. If those were the ones that were translated by her, you know, like in school. Mm. Hmm, makes me wonder. I wonder all that is said in between the lines. Those were the days. Dot, dot, dot. I hope she spills some <laughs> tea. I want to read that book now. Those were the days. Yeah, we'll have to read it and find out. Yeah. In addition to SPA, she would teach at the Shandigar School of Architecture from 1966 to 1971. And she also served as the first woman chief architect for the state of Haryana from 1970 to 1971. OK, we really need to start investigating these ladies daily schedules. Like, how do they find the time? Like how? I'm telling mm. you, amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, does anyone have an old calendar of theirs? Like, I'd love to see Palm it. pilot, a paper calendar, paper, pilot. Yeah, like an agenda book or something. Like, I need to see someone's planner <laughs> sketchbook. I don't know. A picture of their hand where they wrote their yeah. schedule. I don't know. Something. <laughs> All right. Well, now we've reached the third chunk of time that Yuli worked on Shandigar. She served as the first woman chief architect of Shandigar from 1971 to 1976 and oversaw the second phase of the city planning. She's the boss. Say that again. Chief what? Chief architect. <laughs> Has a nice ring to it, right? If I have my own firm one day, I think I'll make that my title. Um, chief architect. Chief architect. Do it. Well. 
1976, she switched to being the chief architect of the state of Punjab, you know, because she got to got to catch them all in terms of chief architects. Because one chief architecture job is not enough. It's only the start. Exactly. She got to catch them all. Mm -hmm. During this time, she worked on several projects in Punjab, such as the General Hospital, Field Hostel, Staff Hostel, and many government housing buildings. You know, at the beginning of this story, I thought we would talk a lot about Chandigarh because I figured that would be like Yuli's primary work. But I should have known she was doing all the things. It's so cool. Of course, she was going to do a bazillion amazing thing. She was bomb diggity. Bomb diggity. That's right. On October 31st, 1981, Yuli retired from public service. Apparently, she worked right up until the last minute, too. At 4.30 p.m., her colleagues had to come in and ask her to come with them so they could all say goodbye and, like, send her off. But she was, like, still at her desk working. And she told them, I'll, I'll just be a minute, okay? <laughs> if this were an episode of SpongeBob, I think a voice would come on and say, a thousand minutes later... <laughs> and we'd see her lecturing to herself in a classroom that's empty because she just can't stop. <laughs> it's not surprising at all. <laughs> I know. Well, as you can imagine, after her retirement, quote unquote, she kept working in private practice on her own. Of course she did. Yep. Mm -hmm. No bingo yet. I think it's funny that she separated her public service versus her private practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 1983, she set up the Alliance Française de Chandigar in order to keep the relationship between Chandigar and France strong. She served as the first president and apparently was the force behind starting theater in Chandigar. She started the Chandigar Amateur Dramatic Society, which put on English plays. Do you think she got to play the piano in some of the plays? Oh, I mean, I feel like if she was the president, she would maybe force herself to because, you know, she had the power. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she would at least sneak in like during the after hours to like play a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, outside of architecture, what she did do was painting. She was apparently really good at it. And she had a few exhibitions in Chandigarh. Ooh, how wonderful. It seems a lot of architects paint. But she was having exhibitions, so she was legit, right? I mean, I'm not sure if you ladies remember, but while we were in Syracuse, we had an architecture student exhibition. And also, friend to the show, Stacy and I, we actually submitted a joint piece and we actually sold it. We got some money what? for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't remember that. Me yeah. Either. Congrats. Yeah. My first yeah. purchased piece felt really cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Love it. Well, Yuli was a fellow in the Indian Institute of Architects, and she was the first Indian woman elected to the Royal Institute of British Architects. She's often called the Grand Dame of Modern Architecture in India. Wow. Now she's in the same group as Episode 17, Minette da Silva, Episode 7, Dame Jane Drew, and Episode 18, Dame Saha Hadid. Yes. Excellent. I'm so happy that we get to learn about her. All these dames. Right? <laughs> All of them. All of them. Well, on September 20, 1995, Yuli passed away. She was 71 years old. I know that it's life, right? It has to come to an end. But it's always so sad when it happens. 
It is. Mm. But you know what I noticed? Guys, we were alive at the same time as her. We shared oxygen with her. Mm -hmm. If only our parents took us to India when we were five years old, we could have met her. (laughs) (laughs) Do better, mom and dad. Yeah, what's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, (laughs) it's now time for a word from our sponsor. Yay, a sponsor! Yeah. Travel by Design is an original podcast from Marriott Bonvoy Traveler. It's hosted by architectural critic Hamish Kilburn. On each episode, Hamish talks with the creative mind behind a one-of-a-kind hotel and asks them what inspired the design, how they implemented it, and what it's like as a guest in the hotel. Super cool show. Mm. (laughs) So I listened to the episode called Nova Scotia, Experience Maritime Design at Muir Halifax. So this hotel in Halifax is hugely inspired by the surrounding moody landscape of Halifax and the Atlantic Ocean. And it's also by a lot of boats and ships since the city is a port. Mm. And the way they talk about the local materials Mm -hmm. they use to make it feel like the foggy oceanside surroundings was really, really interesting. But they also tried to like have it be warm using leather and wood. It sounded really nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, Jessica. We already know you love boats. (laughs) And so this hotel sounds really up your alley because it was like inspired to be a boat overlooking the sea. (laughs) You already know. And I'm telling you, listening to this project, it has me looking at flights, packing a bag, finding my passport, just dying to add another ARC adventure to our list. They do such a great job of describing where they are, the context of each location, spilling all the details that us designers want to know. Yeah. And it also sounds like they really tried to bring in natural light to play off of the different materials they used in interesting ways. So it looks different depending on the time of day. I don't think Halifax has ever really been on my radar to go visit, but now I'm really intrigued. Same. I honestly can't remember if I've ever heard of that place, (laughs) but now it's on my radar. (laughs) There it is. So thank you so much, Travel by Design. Everybody. Search for Travel by Design in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Thank you to Travel by Design for their support. Okay, before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. Jessica, will you remind us what a karyotid is? You got it. All right, so for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Without further ado, this week's karyotid is... <laughs> Victoria Heilman! So Dr. Victoria Heilman is a Tanzanian architect who has a Bachelor's of Architecture from the University of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, a master's degree in architecture from the Catholic University of America in D.C., and a doctorate in sustainable building practice with a focus on Tanzania from the University of Stuttgart in Germany. She's got all the degrees, guys. (laughs) Degrees on degrees. I also like that each degree is in a different continent. 
Yeah. Right? It's like she was collecting these degrees, but also collecting stamps on her passport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Victoria is focused on making sustainable design and construction more mainstream within Ardhi University, where she teaches. She also founded Tanzania Women Architects for Humanity, which rebuilds houses after natural disasters with low cost and easily available materials. She also founded her own firm, Alama, which has sustainability at the center of its design principles and also tries to use basic technologies and passive design to save energy. That's really ambitious. I'm glad that she's passionately working on expanding sustainability left and right. I'm always happy to see others try to make architecture mainstream even more if it's about sustainability. I'm also very interested in this Tanzania Women Architects for Humanity group. Very cool. Mm hmm. I feel like both she and Yuli studied elsewhere and then brought their training back to their home country. And they were both very community focused with their architecture work. And they had their hands both in public and academic work. Ooh, that's true. What a great connection, Lizzie. Victoria, keep fighting the good fight on all those fronts. Your work mm -hmm. is really necessary and highly appreciated by us at Shibo's podcast. Here, here. Okay. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Yuli and Victoria along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. She Builds Podcast is a member of Gable Media Podcast Network. And Gable Media is all about building a better world. And they have so many different shows. Like there's something in there that you're going to like. I'm sure of it. So listen and subscribe to any and all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, people on boats, your prime ministers, the people that translate things for you. Tell them to give us five stars on iTunes, write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Bye. Bye. Make me want to whip out my sketchbook and do some cosmopolitan studies. Mm -mm. Uh, you wrote compositional oh <laughs> I, was like, I was like what the hell is cosmopolitan, yeah, cosmopolitan like, studies <laughs> not very trendy <laughs> she goes, the cosmopolitan oh, studies very trendy studies right there I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> I did it guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.